Hi, everyone, and welcome to Every Child Can Learn, and I'm excited to welcome our host, Phil Maycomer. Phil, what's going on? How are you? Oh, boy. It has been a long school year for all educators, and I am so excited to do a shout out to all of our educators and administrators and families to say you're almost near the finish line. Don't give up and let's dive into another meaningful topic in Every Child Could Learn. Yes, absolutely. And our topic today is the question that I always ask, that Phil asks, but I ask it, is how can we best support teachers in implementing the principles of universal design for learning and real-time lessons in the classroom? So I think to start with, let's all get on the same page about what universal design for learning really means in education, because it's a buzzword for sure. So I'd like to just put it in simple terms. Universal design for learning means all, not some. UDL means that you can reach all students, engage all students, and then set up systems for all students to express themselves successfully. Now, as educators, we have all been to multiple UDL seminars and workshops, and you may even be thinking that as you're listening to this podcast, but sometimes it's more workshops and seminars than we can really count. Yet many educators still walk away with being baffled as to how to take the theory of the general ideas of what we have learned and build them seamlessly into a real life classroom lesson on any subject area, math, science, social studies, literacy, anything. Now, I am passionate about solving this problem in my partnership with various administrators and teaching staff. And my guest in this episode, Dr. Kevin Stone, is going to share how to provide practical and meaningful training for staff to best support them and the range of diverse students they educate in the classroom. Now, let me tell you a bit about Kevin. Dr. Kevin Stone is the K through six principal of Troy Elementary School in New England in the state of New Hampshire. He has been in the field of education since 1984. He knows what works and what doesn't work. He served his time starting out in the classroom as a teacher and then moving to a leadership role in administration. A foundation of Kevin's educational philosophy is to break down the barriers between special education and general education so that his staff are better able to meet the needs of all students in the classroom while developing a positive mindset. Now, I know this because I have worked side by side with Kevin in implementing a multi-year strategic plan in supporting his teaching staff. In 2018, Kevin served on my practitioner panel for the national launch of my new UDL strategy seminar, and he shared multiple real-life stories of how everyday educators in his building were creatively using these easy teaching strategies. I will tell you, Kevin is a believer 
in reaching all, not some, and is very passionate about putting into place universal systems of instruction and providing practical training for all staff. So I'd like to welcome you, Kevin, to this episode of Every Child Can Learn. Thanks, Phil. I'm so excited for this conversation today. You know, you and I have been around the block many times for the years that we've served <laughs> in education, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and um, so I think what I'd like to start with is just identifying the problem, right? Um, you know, we certainly can come up with solutions, but I think we need to frame the problem. And so I think my question that I'd like to uh, toss out to you is, what are the biggest struggles for teachers when attempting to implement UDL in the classroom so that they reach all and not some? So I think you hit it on the head, Phil. Um, you know, implementation is always the biggest, the biggest um, obstacle to overcome. Um, teachers are often not exactly sure how to apply the theory that they learn in workshops um, into the regular classroom setting. Time is another issue, right? I mean, trying right. trying to wrap your head around, um, oh, this is great information and making it apply to the classroom that you have and the personalities that you have in your classroom um, certainly are, are challenging. Um, teachers have, you know, they've got the desire but and the will to do things, but um, sometimes the, the, it's easier to do what you already know than to try something new, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, you know, I love how you said the will and really the resilience in education, right? And, you know, I always say that educators' places or, or educators' hearts are always in the right place. But it's that time factor of, okay, there's that binder I got in my workshop or that file in my Google Drive. How am I going to look at that and then say, how do I do this in science, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's a disconnect there. Well, and you know, it's not just isolated to, to, to teachers in the classrooms. I mean, I, I think we've all been to workshops, administratively even, myself. You know, we've been to workshops, we've gotten these wonderful binders, and oh, these are wonderful ideas. But how do you really implement them in your school so that they're going to work? Um, so it's not, like you say, it's not just isolated to teachers. Right. Um, but it's all small steps, you know, I, and I think that's key. Yeah, yeah, that is key. And so what, how do we begin to like sift through this and, and how did we start to sift through this in our strategic plan? Like, how did we start to solve this? So I think part of what we, we talked about over time um, is the idea that, you know, teachers really have it, um, but implementing was, was the issue. Um, they really weren't sure on how to do it. Um, and it looked different, you know, and, and that's good because you're, each teacher is expressing themselves in a different way. So that you want to encourage that, that uniqueness, that, that difference. Um, but we tried to put together something that was going to help them um, to break it down, right? Um, when you get UDL, I mean, there are volumes about UDL and a universal design of learning and how to do it and what it should be and what it should look like. Um, They've read, you know, that our teachers here at Troy read a summer read over over the summer to try to help the process a little bit. We had planned a professional development um, piece as well um, to, again, try to break it down step by step, because that whole picture of un the universal design of learning is way it could be very overwhelming. 
Yeah. And, you know, just to review for our listeners, there are three basic areas of universal design for learning. One is offer multiple ways to represent information when you're teaching. Don't just talk, pair it with visuals, have things that are hands-on projects, that kind of category. Then there is multiple levels of engagement. How can we provide multiple ways to engage students in the classroom? And then there's the third category of action and expression. How do kids share what they know? And we need to offer them different ways to do that based on their learning styles. So some people may be thinking, oh my goodness, those are like three spinning plates, right? In a very busy school day when you have 180 seconds to go to the bathroom every day, right? Right. And so you and I said, let's Mm -hmm. not take on all three at the same time, right? We focus on one. And we kind of prioritized, right? We we yeah. knew that they had a background. We knew that um, you know some of the teachers had had made attempts. So, um, so I'm sorry if I cut you off. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I no. I and that's valuable. Go on. Um, so what we chose to do here in Troy is because they had the knowledge and that they had some idea of what the universal design of learning was. We chose to take um, one the piece of engagement because that seemed to be where people were getting stuck. It's like, there's all of this, what's going to work for me? And you know, for a lot of teachers, it's a trial and error kind of thing. Um, so Phil and I got together and we presented, which we're still in the process of, because that's one of the other things that we learned. Um, but we presented a workshop on what engagement was, what it looked like, um, the self-reflection that needed to happen as a result of our work, um, and those kinds of, processes to help student, to help the teachers apply it in the classroom. Right. You know, and one of the things that I love with how we structured this is it was not professional development that was a seven-hour seminar all in one day, because we know that when you attend something like that, people usually retain about 20% of what they learn in that given day. We did it in bite-sized chunks. And now I know that Neil Haley has also served in education for a long time. And Neil, you and I have always talked about the, we need to simplify learning and simplify teaching. And one way to do that, right, is to put things in parts and chunks that make sense. Yeah, you got to break things down for people and explain it. And if you're going to do one size fits all, it's just not going to work in education with diverse learners that are in the classroom. And then if a teacher doesn't understand specifically those things, they need experts like Phil and yourself to kind of break it down for them because we all want to cover so much curriculum in the whole year versus checking for understanding and checking for understanding when it comes to each individual learner, not just the ones that get it or the average, everyone. And every child can learn. And that's why you have the show. Well, thank you, Neil. You know, I'll tell you one thing to shout out to our listeners that Kevin and I did not do. We did not stand there and say, oh, let us explain what multiple levels of engagement are to teachers who attempt to do this every day. We did not insult their intelligence with this. We came in saying, we know you understand that multiple levels of engagement are boom, 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 boom. What we're going to do is develop a list of the top 10 
implementation tips of how to put this theory into real life lessons and showed example after example. And that's what we'd like to talk with you about in this episode. So Kevin, let's get down to some specifics now, now that we have framed this out, um, because we want to give listeners maybe a handful of some of these strategies. And, you know, Kevin, you started to say, and I started to smile when you said, oh, yes, we came up with like a list of the top 10. And so Kevin and I did this in a series of staff meetings, right, Kevin? Right. Yeah. And how long would you say our sessions were? So we had planned for (laughs) reality and what really happens. I mean, what we planned for and what reality really are two different things, right? Um, we yeah, had, but meaning in terms of length of instruction. I want to say it was a half an hour to 45 minutes each. Right, right. So Kevin and I thought through the series of we intended to do like five to six sessions for the year uh, during staff meetings. And regardless of the number of sessions that we did, we found that as opposed to rushing through the different implementation tips, that staff really wanted to discuss them and then apply and say, this is how I could then think about doing this in my class. So we spent so much more time on one particular tip that maybe that's all we discussed in the 30 to 45 minutes, right, Kevin? Correct, that's correct. And it was time well spent. Absolutely. Right? Like, I remember you looking at me and saying, Phil, we haven't even gotten th- through like like three or four of these yet. And we're almost done with our PD time for the year. And you and I kind of laughed and said, great, because that means people were really engaged, so to speak, right. no, in the training, right? Well, and have been able to take what we've taught and apply it in the classroom, which is what we wanted, which is what the focus was, right? So exactly. it, it actually worked well. Um you know, we didn't get everything that we wanted to done, but they've taken what we've shown them and moved forward with it, which is, in my book, progress. And we're continuing it for the upcoming school year. Correct. Right? So Correct. that is that ebb and flow of assess and adjust, assess and adjust, and, and also follow the lead of your teachers. They know what they need. They, and, and they'll tell you that sometimes in ways that are not even conscious to them. So let's give our listeners some examples of some strategies that we covered before we end today. Like maybe let's share two or three of them. Would that be all right? And then I can give some examples if you share a strategy, Kevin. Sure. So the first one that we talked about um, was encourage students um, to access what they learned, right? Their own learning and provide regular opportunities for students to self-reflect. Not only the students, but for the adults as well similar to what Phil just described that we had done as a result of our our work together. Right. I always say, and Kevin has heard me say this in seminars that he has attended of mine, that one of the greatest gifts that we could give our students is giving them the opportunity and the the practice of self-reflection because it forces you, as my wonderful father used to say, it forces you to be fess up honest with yourself. So um, so assessing and forming a habit 
of evaluation of yourself is a really good thing. And that's a way to really engage students in the classroom. Um, like one of the examples that I had shown, Kevin, that I shared with your staff was the 3-3 three, three exercise that I always teach students. So like at the end of a chunk of a lesson, and that lesson might be across three days, or it could be just on a one-day delivery in a 45-minute block. What are the three things that we really did well, and what are the three things we want to work on the next time? So you're always doing that kind of assessment and having those kinds of discussions with your kids in your class, facilitated by a teacher, time well spent. So what do we think about a number two? What else did we share with your staff? So another um, thought that we tried to push home, which really has, has um, been applied a lot here in Troy, is the idea of archiving um, students' feedback and trying oh. to um, you know, capture that. Yeah, um, oftentimes when we have feedback given by students, or like say we're in a collaborative discussion. I mean, you were a classroom teacher, Kevin, you know that you might open it up and say, okay, we're going to discuss blank, right? That students will participate and you engage your students, but sometimes students are thinking about what they wanna say, that they're not listening to what their classmates are saying. And sometimes they say the same thing. And then the teacher says, oh, but Scott just shared that. Right? right? And so when we archive student feedback in a nice visual way, say you had pictures of your students on a slide and there were little speech bubbles there. As each student is sharing, if you have someone, it could be the teacher, it could be a student, depending on the grade level, or it could be an adult support person in the classroom, just jots down a phrase of what that student said. So next to the picture of Scott, it says something like, um, I thought it was a waste of tea. Say you were discussing the Boston Tea Party, right, in social studies. And then another student says something like, it was a protest at the harbor. It was, and so you start archiving this and students can see, and then you have a really nice formative or summative assessment, right? Absolutely. So I love that. So the two we reviewed so far, have students self-reflect, engage them to share about their performance. Then also, whatever their feedback is in the classroom, make it visible. Let's make sure it's not invisible. And the more they see, the more they want to add, right? And it also shows, oh, look, I didn't participate yet. I better get something in my bubble. Right, so it is a form of engagement and it really works. And we showed multiple examples in our professional development. Do we right. have time for one more, Kev? We do, I think. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. So one that really kind of hits home for me um, because I think it's a deficit and it's, it's a struggle for a lot of students is the executive functioning piece. Um, we talked a lot about key executive functions and how to help um, students apply what teachers are, you know, what teachers are really talking about and how to organize their day. Yeah, organization is key and explicitly teaching different executive functions like organization, prioritizing, planning, and then 
impulse control, those types of things that we know can be a struggle in the classroom. And doing it in two ways. Some examples that Kevin and I have given were through actual executive functioning lessons that were taught in the classroom. And then others were just executive functioning warm-ups at the start of a lesson. So like, for example, an example I had given was uh, you're getting ready to put a poster together. Let's do the example of the Boston Tea Party. And it's a kids are putting their collages together about the uh, start of the Revolutionary War. And your executive functioning warm-up can be related to organization, planning, and prioritizing because that's related to building collages and posters. So I think that this really helps students engage more when they know what their brain's supposed to be focused on. Agreed. So Kevin, before we end here, because we're nearing the end of our time, do you have any advice to teachers or administrators who maybe want to do this in their districts or in their building? So I do. Um, I think it's it's very important to remember that um, challenge is always good. It's always a good idea to stretch what you've done as far as in the classroom. Um, but remember that you can't do everything perfectly the first time. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important to remember that small chunks, small steps are, are important if you're going to make things succeed. Um, and administratively, I think it's, it's important to get a pulse on where your staff is. Um, one of the things that I found in my staff is that there, there were several people who were already engaged um, deeply in the UDL work um, and were happy to help us um, move it forward in, in the school. Um, I don't think that there's an administrator out there that wouldn't challenge um, their, their staff to try something new. Um, you know, I, I understand that teachers are very nervous when administrators come in, but if, when administrators are working hand in hand with teachers, which is another thing that I think is important, right? You can't just sort of give it and not expect some help. So I think administratively that the help and support is important as well. Um, things don't happen overnight. So I can't stress enough that the small steps is what really, really is going to help you grow and build. Yeah, and steps that are connected, right? Not these just random activities. And that's what I really like. We're talking about executive functions and brains. That's what I love about your brain, Kevin, is that you just don't want to do an activity for the sake of doing an activity with your staff. You want it to connect to the bigger picture, right? Right, right. And well, and provide for what students need. And this is truly exactly. what students need. You know, this really is going to break down the barriers for kids. Um, and that's really what we're about, right? It is. It is what we're about. And it was a true pleasure having you on this episode. And I really would look forward to having you back. And we can then share out maybe what we're doing in our next year of our strategic planning related to UDL and multiple levels of engagement. And uh, we can discuss more possibly about how we even came up with our strategic plan, because I think sometimes people 
like to think strategically, but don't know what the starting steps are. So I think that this conversation could continue even into another episode. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. Well, thank you, Dr. Stone. A true pleasure as always. And as always. And Neil, uh, I think that this topic is extremely important, not only for teachers, but for parents to know that their kids are being engaged in class and learning engagement strategies to increase their participation, to share what they know, and to build the confidence to do so. Absolutely. Great information and definitely want to go back and listen to it because again, things always change in education. We're in a cyclical process. We are, we're looking for, we always find new and innovative ways to teach kids. And this is what every child can learn. You could just get these experts out there that really are providing great information for everyone from parents, teachers, and administrators. So everything that, uh, you know, a mission I had when I first started in radio was this. So, and Phil's really hitting it with the kind of guests she brings on. Well, thank you, Neil. And if you'd like to find out more information about the type of work that can be supported in your district, you can go to aboutthepact.com. That's about, A-B-O-U-T, the, T-H-E, pact, P-A-C-T.com, aboutthepact.com. You also might want to pick up a toolkit of the copy of the Kindle version of Every Child Can Learn on Amazon, uh, or contact me directly at phil, P-H-Y-L, at aboutthepact.com. Excellent. What a great show of Every Child Can Learn. I appreciate both Kevin and also Phil. So guys, take care. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.